Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Good morning, everyone. We've been sitting for about 25 minutes, so I'm going to invite you right now just for about 30 seconds to stand, rise, and shine, and give God the glory. Maybe stretch, look around, turn around. You see someone you don't know or you know, wave at them, give them a fist bump this morning. I also want to get your heart rate up a little bit so you won't fall asleep with the preacher today, but it's good to see each and every one of you. Welcome, welcome. If you see someone they haven't seen for a while, then after the service, go say hello. You may be seated. Glad you're here this morning. Well, let's start out with a fun story just to get us in the listening mode. Heard about uh, this CEO and his wife driving their fancy car down 25A, and they pulled into a gas station to get some gas. So he got out to pump the gas, and she said, I'm going to go on into the convenience store. And while he was pumping the gas, he looked over and he noticed that she was in this pretty intense conversation with the service station attendant or the guy in the store. And so after they got back into their car, they started down 25A and he said, well, I noticed you were in this conversation. What was that about? She said, well, actually, I went to high school with that guy and we actually dated for a while. (laughs) He thought about it for a moment and he said smugly, he said, Well, I guess I know what you were thinking. You were thinking, wow, I'm sure glad I married a CEO and not that gas station attendant. She said, oh, no, what I was thinking is if I would have married him, he would have been a CEO and you would have been a gas station attendant. (laughs) But the problem with this story is why can't she be the CEO, right? (laughs) So today we're going to talk about Uh, what Jesus did for women, what Jesus did for children and for men as we look at the whole topic Jesus is. We kicked off this series several weeks ago looking at different characteristics and aspects of Jesus. We looked at Jesus carpenter, Jesus as teacher, Jesus as healer, Jesus as prophet last week, and today we will look at Jesus is restorer. Say that with me. Jesus is restorer. He restores value, the value that God has given to us as children of God, that we can fully see ourselves as God sees us, created in the image of God through creation, but even more importantly, through redemption. So I want to take you, first of all, to a key scripture in Paul's letters. It's Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. And would you read this with me as we could all read it together? Let's read it together. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Look at that last line. You are all one, meaning at the foot of the cross, there's level ground. When I stand in the shadow of the cross, I realize that I am guilty enough to crucify Jesus. 
But God's love is fully given to me and to each of us today. Jesus came to restore us. And so we see, especially to the marginalized and the victimized of his society, he elevated them. And so I want to highlight two areas, but there are many. But these areas are ones that really spoke counterculturally in that day, which we will see. And that is to women and to children. To women and to children. So first of all, Jesus elevated the status of women in his day. And those ripples still are being felt today. I've said this before, but I want to say it again, because it's easy for us to look at the scriptures through our lens of our culture and miss what was really going on in the first century and the significance of Jesus's teaching and his ministry. That in Jesus' day in the first century, not just in Palestine, but all throughout the Roman Empire, that women were at best second-class citizens, and at worst, they were property of their fathers or their husbands. A Jewish rabbi would never speak to a woman in public. In fact, um, there was the belief that women were quite inferior And so they believed that it was better to burn the Torah, meaning the Old Testament law, than to teach it to a woman. There was a, you can't make this up, there there was a prayer in the first century by Jewish rabbis that went like this, thank you God that you created me not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. They would not speak to women in public. And that's what's so countercultural of Jesus. We have many examples of this. Let me give you one that Pastor Carl pointed out last week. It's that text in John chapter 4 where Jesus is in Sychar in the Samaritan Hills, which is now the West Bank of Palestine. And he's there at a well at noon. And remember, Pastor Carl brought this up last week in his teaching. If not, go back and check it out, where he has this conversation Jesus, a Jew, talking to Samaritan, which was unheard of for a man, especially talking to a woman. And he says, would you give me something to drink? And she found it odd because she said, you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink? And yet they started this conversation there. It was so rare that in verse 27 of John 4, it mentions when the disciples came back, they were surprised that Jesus was talking to this woman because that just didn't happen. And we see that scripture there in verse 27. We also see that picture all throughout the Bible that in a world that devalued women, Jesus included them as part of his team. Luke chapter 10, Jesus is visiting his friends, Martha and Mary. And Martha takes on the traditional role of a woman. She is serving in the kitchen. She is preparing. And Mary, it says, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
Now, that's actually a technical term that a first century reader would understand. To sit at the feet of someone meant to be a disciple. The apostle Paul told us that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, that great Jewish rabbi. So he sat under his teaching for three years. Mary was sitting under the teaching. And when Martha heard that, what did she do? She scolded Mary. And Jesus said, oh, no, for Mary has chosen the better way. Do you have any idea how countercultural that was in the first century? A rabbi who was traveling with men, that was normal, but not with women. And yet we see women sharing in significant moments of the Christian story. It was women who discovered that the tomb of the Lord Jesus was empty. It was a woman that the angel appeared to to announce the good news. So much so that when they went back to tell the men, they did not believe. Why? Because you couldn't trust the testimony of a woman. They had to see for themselves. Dorothy Sayers, a popular writer of the last century, once wrote, perhaps it is no wonder that women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this. And that influence of Jesus to elevate women to personhood continued on through the Christian movement with all of our failures. And certainly the Christian story is littered with bad examples of human sin. But when we look to Jesus, we see that true Jesus followers began with this message that continued to change the world. It was the early Methodist who went into the city of London with the fire and love of Jesus, and they spoke to a culture that devalued women, that nearly one in four women in London during the time of the Wesleys were in some way victimized or were prostitutes, and they began to minister, and things changed so much through the Wesleyan renewal revival that later the next century brought in the Victorian age how things change in a culture. Let's remember again, Galatians chapter three, verse 28. We're no longer male or female in God's eyes, for we are one, we are equal. Now, that's still becoming a reality. We're not there yet in the United States. Now, raise your hand if you want to, if you were born after 1990. (laughs) Just a few in the first service. That may be the second service. (laughs) But I think people who are born after 85 and 90 may have a hard time remembering parts of American history that those of us who are older, especially if you lived during the 1960s and 70s, would know. So I'm going to say some surprising things here for some of the young people, but I just asked them to do their own study. Until 1974, women in the United States, not in some underdeveloped country, I'm talking about right here could not apply for and own a credit card in their own name without a cosigner of a male, 1974. Until the 1960s, most states in the country would not allow a woman to sign for an apartment lease on their own or obtain a credit rating without a male, without their husband, or without their father. Anybody remember those days? 
You guys are all young in here. You don't remember that. In the 1960s, it was viewed that women could not do strenuous exercise. And so it was right around 68 to 70 that they were finally allowed to officially run marathons and lift weights. So all you runners in the room, if you would have lived 50 years ago, there would have been laws around that as well. According to a 1965 study, 51% of men in America felt that women were unfit for leadership and management positions, over half. And until 1978, does that seem very long ago? Women could not guarantee, be guaranteed that they would not be fired for getting pregnant. Wow. See, we take these things for granted. But even last year, what was last year? Spring of 2022, we were wanting to have some work done in our house in Grove City. <laughs> and uh, my wife contracted the, the company, the official large company in Columbus. You remember this? I tell you, I was going to tell this story. <laughs> and they would not give an estimate and talk to her until they said, we want to talk to your husband. <laughs> and so we went to a different company. <laughs> so to say that that's in the past, that doesn't happen. Can you believe it? You think that companies would want to make money during these times, right? Fortunately, though, times have changed since the 60s and 70s, but we're not there yet, are we? We still have a long way to go. In 1990, which is a little over 30 years ago, Marta Sim wrote a very shocking essay. I'm going to read some of it to you. He was a Harvard professor. More than 100 million women are missing. It was about gender imbalance in China and India. And this followed with another major shocking essay a few years later in the early 90s entitled Unnatural Selection, Choosing Boys Over Girls noting that Asia alone, get this, has an imbalance of 163 million males over females. The article goes like this. Once a fetus has been identified as a female, it is much more likely to be unwanted or to be aborted or to left, be left or exposed or abandoned. Rich families cannot find babies for their sons so poor families are more likely to sell their daughters, which leads to sex trafficking. Today, according to the World Health Organization, one in three women around the world will experience physical or sexual violence. And according to the United Nations, one in four girls in developing countries will not be able to complete even a primary education. That's the world in which we live today. Does the church have anything to say to that, folks? Or are we just to spend our time cocooned with inside walls doing Christian aerobics? No, we have something to say because we're Jesus followers. We're part of the Jesus movement. We said that the foot of the cross, there's level ground. When the world doesn't see value, we see value. In Jesus, we see in his culture, he 
he ministered to people like the woman at the well. And he had a group of misfits who followed him around Palestine of men and women. Was it perfect? No. But through his lessons, we can learn how we should be today. Jesus elevated women. He elevated children as well. Now, some of this may be a little surprising to you because we just take for granted the importance of children around Gingsburg. But in the Roman Empire at the first century, children were not considered fully human until eight days after birth. Now, just get that in your spirit. Write that down. That baby that you are holding just out of the womb was not human according to the law unless they would live more than eight days. Therefore, abortion was common practice. The Greek philosopher Aristotle encouraged abortion because he was very concerned about population explosion. You think abortion is a new topic. It's not. It's been over 2,000 years. You can go back and Google instruments of abortion. It's been around for a long time. Those unwanted children who were not aborted but were born were often left to die. And this was actually a practice in the ancient world called exposure. Have you heard of that? Exposure. E-X-P-O-S-U-R-E. The head of the household had the legal right to decide the life and death of a child up until eight days. After eight days, you couldn't do it. But because it wasn't human until eight days, you could expose them, meaning what they would do. It sounds horrific, but it's in this broken world that we live. They would abandon their children. They could take them out into the country, leave them uh, for dead. And the Jews of the first century opposed this horrible practice that was going on in the secular culture, and they stood against it. But still, in first century Judaism, children were property of their parents. They were to be seen and not heard. But Jesus elevated children so much that when the Jesus movement began to take fire in the Roman Empire and it spread out through the providence, then people were converted and people in government and the Roman Empire became, quote, Christianized by the fourth century, they outlawed the practice of exposure. But it was because of the value that was placed upon children. Even remember that time in the Gospels, it's in Mark and also in Matthew, when the mothers are bringing their children to Jesus to place his hands upon the children to bless them. But the disciples rebuked the mothers. They said, he doesn't have time for these kids. He's got big people stuff to do. And what did Jesus do? Did he rebuke the mothers or the children? No, he rebuked the disciples. And he said this, Matthew chapter 19, this famous verse, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Still today, 2,000 years later, I think Jesus would say to Gingsburg, hey, let the little children come to me. Don't create uh, blocks for them to hear the message. 
It's for all people, including me. Jesus gave value in a world that didn't. I say all this because how does this apply to to you, to me? Some of us, under the sound of my voice, maybe you're worshiping online, you grew up in a family in which you were told that you were an accident, that you weren't wanted, that you have no worth. Maybe a father told you that or a mother told you that. I want to say that you're not an accident, that you have worth, that you have value. Let me tell you a story. I went 30 years of ministry. I never told this family story until last year, but it was liberating for me to share this publicly. So the date was September 3rd, 1937. It's a long time ago. Shortly after 1 a.m. in the morning, my parents, my mother's parents, my grandparents, Bob and Alice Sensmeister from Zanesville, were coming back from the Ohio State Fair. They were on old US 40 National Road, runs through Vandalia, but they were going through Reynoldsburg. You know, the road, they didn't, that was before I-70. And they were coming back early in the morning with my grandmother's sister, Mary, and her husband, Herb. Mary had a two-month-old named Janet that did not come to the fair, and she was with other family in Zanesville. And so the young couple, around 30 years old, they were, had a great time, and they were coming back. And they were just outside of Reynoldsburg, Ohio, if you know where that's at. And they were hit in the back by a bread truck out of Canal Winchester that literally burst into flames. Fortunately, the truck driver escaped. He said he didn't see the car in front of him because of the oncoming lights. Here's the newspaper, Zanesville's Daily Paper, that next day. My grandparents weren't as fortunate. Their car flipped and pinned the girls beneath the wreckage. My grandfather, Bob, and Herb, his brother-in-law, they escaped unharmed. But my grandmother, Alice, and Mary were pinned under the car. People came by and they, they rescued them and they quickly took them to Grant Manical Hospital in downtown Columbus. Mary has suffered multiple head injuries and she died. And that's the woman that's listed in the paper. My grandmother, she had multiple fractures, broken ribs, internal bleeding. She was in ICU for several weeks, but she lived. She lived. What's amazing about this story is that my grandmother was pregnant with my mother. And several months later, she was born, and they named her Nancy Mary, in memory of my aunt, my grandmother's sister. 
who had died. Now, of course, if you've had something like that in your history, which I know that there would be some who have had something like that, then you play the what ifs. What if my grandmother would have died with her sister? My mother would not have been born. Therefore, I would not be standing on this stage today. But the Lord has come to me many times in my mind and said, your existence and your mother's existence is not simply the luck of the draw. That your existence is not just by good fortune, you see. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, says that God had a plan for his life to be a prophet to the nations before he was born. Amen? You see, we believe here different in this church. We believe that we're not just cosmic accidents that came about through thousands of years of random chance. We believe there's actually purpose in this world. There's meaning in this world. That's what we believe. And we don't compromise that. King David wrote about this in Psalm 139.16. He said, you saw me before I was born and you scheduled me each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. I love this quote from Pastor Rick Warren. Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. He thought of you first. It is not by fate, nor chance, nor luck, nor coincidence that you are breathing at this very moment. You are alive today because God wanted to create you. Isn't that powerful? Well, I finally shared that after 30 years on Facebook last year. And I had a friend who surprised me, a friend that used to live in Piqua, doesn't live here anymore, lives out of state. She wrote me a public note reflecting upon all that. And she wrote this. Dear Dennis, I was a rape baby that nobody wanted. And it wasn't until I met Jesus that I finally felt peace and understanding regarding my existence. Then she wrote this, Dennis, although my parents may not have planned me, God did. I want to say to you, friends, Although there are illegitimate parents, there are no illegitimate babies. You are not a mishap, if I'm speaking to you today. You are not a mistake. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, that you are God's masterpiece, amen? You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus 
to do good works. And I don't know a lot, but I believe that it's a purpose for you to be here today. To hear this message of worth today. God writes straight using crooked lines. Let that sink in. That's the most powerful word you may hear today for you. No matter what your past has been, only God through Jesus defines it. That God writes straight using crooked lines. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you actually care in a world that's careless, that you know our story, that you know our name, and that you went to the cross for us, that we might fully live into our potential that you have created us to be, that you pick up broken pieces of our lives and make all things new. And no matter the road that we've been on, I do thank you that you write straight today. Oh God, we come and fall at your feet, just like Mary. We sit at your feet today to find our worth in you. If there's anyone here that's never given their life fully to Christ, may today be the day they say yes. For all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.